I'm going to read some verses from Mark chapter 8. You might like to turn to that. You'll find it on page 1012, 1012 of the copies of the Bible that's in the pew. Page 1012. I'm going to read from verse 27 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Come with power. And we'll end the reading at this point in Mark's Gospel. This morning, um, I want to bring our series on being human to an end. I want to say thank you to you um, during this series. You've been very understanding. You've been very supportive. You've suggested many topics. And I'm very sorry that quite a number of themes that you have suggested um, haven't been raised and uh, haven't been able to address them. And this is the last Sunday morning of this series, so I'm sorry, but maybe some other time we'll get to think about them uh, in years to come. At least I will. The theme for this morning is being human, being yourself. It's a very interesting phrase. Sometimes it's used as an encouragement. You go to an interview and somebody says, just be yourself and you'll be fine. Sometimes it's a compliment. He was just himself. No pretense, no errors, graces. Sometimes it's a phrase used in despair. Oh, that's just him being himself again. Oftentimes, in this day and age, it's an expression of the thing that's supposed to really matter above everything else. Just be yourself. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Don't worry even if you offend anyone. The great virtue is in being yourself. There's a huge emphasis these days on self-discovery and being yourself, putting yourself first. It's part of what has shaped modern Western society. And that all relies on the work of a philosopher who believed that humanity, stripped of regulation and religion, could begin to see the emergence of a kind of superhuman, someone who would be free to really be human. I've been thinking about this in the context of Jesus' remarks to his disciples in Mark chapter 8. What we read in Mark chapter 8, part of it also occurs in Matthew and Luke. In fact, this theme occurs in all four Gospels. And what I hadn't been aware of before until thinking about this is that it's possibly the most repeated of all the themes of Jesus' teaching. 
This idea that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own life? You'll find it in Matthew 10, Matthew 16, Luke 9, Luke 14, Luke 17. You'll find it referred to in John 12 as well as in Mark 8. So the question is, who or what is this self that I'm supposed to be that the world keeps telling me I should just be? Because it seems to me that Christian teaching, as we think about this, is completely at variance with the prevailing culture. And I think it's one of the key areas that Christians need to think about and grasp. This business of defining who we are and how do we define who we are. Who or what is this self I'm supposed to just be? There are four aspects to thinking about this that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, the way we were made as human beings. Secondly, the way we have been shaped as individuals. Thirdly, the things that are unique to us as, each pe- uh, as people. And fourthly, the choices that we make. The first one is really a bit of a recap over the foundations that we led for this series quite some time ago. You may remember that when we talked about being human, we talked about how we were made as human beings and made from the dirt, the dust of the ground. Genesis chapter 2, verses 48. God made us from the dirt. He thought it was a good idea. And he was pleased with what he made. Being human is not a mistake. Being human is not shameful. Being human is what God intended for us to be. Being human, having bodies, is not a problem. It was God's intention. We're not only made from the dirt, we are made in the image of God, the Bible teaches us. Images were a big no-no in the Hebrew culture and religion. Image, even on coins, was an affront to many Jewish people. Not just because God couldn't be represented in wood and stone, which was idolatry, but because humankind was made in the image of God. We were made to reflect God. Not to be God, not to build other gods, but to reflect God, to care for his creation, to be creative, to glorify him, and to enjoy him. And we were made for relationships and for glory. Genesis makes that clear. We were made for relationships with one another, male and female in Genesis 2. Male, female, and God in Genesis 3. Male, female, and children in Genesis 4. Relationships within a community, Genesis 5 and Genesis 6. We thought about Michelangelo's creation of Adam in the Sistine Chapel, this uh, portrayal of a beautiful human, but a beautiful human who is lifeless, perfect in form, but lifeless without the touch, without the breath of life that comes from God, for God who is the one who brings what is necessary, and brings what is necessary in the context of relationship, not merely individualism. We were made for relationship with God and with each other. And made for glory, think of Psalm 8, which speaks of the wonderful development of this idea, and praise of God's glory and the glory bestowed on humanity. We also thought about how, as human beings, we have made a mess. The story begins to unfold for us in Genesis chapter 3. The nature of the relationship between God and humankind is called into question. And then the relationship between man and woman and God is disrupted as people give way to a rebellious attitude against God. And then the relationships between men and women are fractured and the blame game starts. And within a short time, human relationships generally, as we reach Genesis chapter 4, become poisoned and destructive with death and with murder. And we see that at the core of what we refer to as sin is broken relationships. Broken relationships with God, broken relationships with each other. They're part of the hallmark of our human existence. 
We thought about what we were made from. We thought about what we were made in, in the image of God, what we were made for, for relationship with God, with each other, and for glory and reflecting the glory of God. We thought about how we have made a mess, the present reality of our human existence as sinful people. But we also thought about the fact that it is also possible in all of this to be made new. The message that lies at the core of the gospel, the recreative power of the gospel, the transforming work of the cross of Jesus Christ, the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. Not made faultless, but made new, and being made new through faith in Jesus Christ to be like him. These are aspects of how we were made, made from the dirt, made in the image of God, made for relationship and glory, and truthfully have made a mess of it, but have the hope and the opportunity in Christ to be made new. The second thing we need to think about is not just the way we were made as human beings, but the way we have been shaped as individuals. None of us is a blank canvas on which we have written or will write our own story. None of us is a wonderful piece of pottery which we have modelled ourselves only. Other people are part of our lives. They're part of the self that is me, that is you. When someone asks you, who are you? It's quite likely you'll give them a name. It's very unlikely you chose that name, unless you changed it. People who gave you the name have not only given you the name, but have left their mark on you for good or for ill. People ask you who you are. You give them a description. Unless you've had very extensive cosmetic surgery, the basic description will be something that you give because it was given to you. Your eye color, your hair color, your height, your size, your gender. They all bear traces of what your father and mother gave you, principles that apply whether you were conceived in the womb or conceived in a test tube. You might give them a job. This is who I am. This is what I do. A profession, a role in life. But that too is shaped by your ability, maybe by the expectations that you had of yourself or your parents had of you or opportunities given to you or opportunities denied to you. The way you think, the way you feel, The way you interpret other people's intentions are all shaped and influenced by other people, by family, by friends, by teachers, by enemies. Who we are will have been shaped by life's experiences, successes that have built confidence in us, failures that have nurtured insecurities, experiences that have scarred us or healed us or changed us. None of us is our own creation. The idea that there is some pure self, some hidden self, is a bit of a myth. Years ago we used to talk about going to university to find yourself. didn't work for me. Insofar as it means breaking from the expectations of others and having the freedom to experiment, yes. Find yourself, think for yourself, decide for yourself, choose for yourself. But the self that thinks, that decides or chooses, has already been profoundly shaped are affected by other people. And there's the third thing that we have on our list there, the things that are unique to each person. Yes, we may have been created as part of a common, human, common humanity, and we may have in our lives been shaped by others, whether many or few, whether for good or for bad, but there are aspects of us that are unique. There's no question about that. Your particular makeup, your personality, your gifts and abilities, your sense of humor or lack of it, your IQ, whatever. These are things that are unique to you and help shape you to be the kind of person you are. 
There are many things bundled together that make you different, that make you the unique individual that you are, that mean that nobody else has the same thumbprint or fingerprint as you have. Your fingerprint is unique to you. The fact that we're all made from the dirt, that we're made in the image of God, that we're shaped by other people, doesn't mean there's nothing unique or special about us to be valued, to be nurtured. What it does mean is that we're maybe not as pure a self as we like to think. We're not as pure a self, as blank a canvas as our culture would like us to think. It can be a dispiriting thought. But there's one more important feature to consider, which takes me to the fourth point, the choices we make. The choices we have made and will continue to make also shape who we are. I know sometimes we talk about reinventing ourselves. And I know there are TV programs about clothing and image where people are reinvented by the way in which um, they're dressed up and all the rest of it. And someone becomes a new woman or a new man. We all recognize that there are elements of that that are rather superficial. But many choices we make in life help in the shaping process of who we are. We choose to love or to forgive or to hate or to worry, to trust, to believe, to reject, to be generous, to be mean. These things are not just our genes using us as robots. These things are not just the inheritance from others because we may choose to be very different. Choices are very important. And some choices do create a measure of being yourself. Which is what brings me to Mark 8. The context of the passage that we read together is Jesus saying to his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And in verse 29 we have Peter making this confession, You are the Christ. Insight has been given to Peter. Not completely, because we then move on to Peter's confusion in verse 32, because his image, his understanding of the Christ is all wrong, which is why Jesus doesn't want them going talking about this yet. There's an awful lot they have to understand. But out of these moments of insight and confusion, Jesus calls the crowd and the disciples. In verse 34 he says, If you believe I am the Christ, and if you want to be part of what I am, then you have to deny yourself. You have to be willing to deny, to die to the notion of just being yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you want to just be yourself, you'll discover that it's an empty dream, an illusion. If you're willing to lose your life for me and the good news of the kingdom, Jesus says, that's a choice that will save your life now and eternally. Because the term soul, as it's translated in uh, the New International Version, can also be translated life. It won't be much good to you, Jesus says, if you gain everything in the world you could ever hope for and discover it all to be nothing and forfeit your own life, your own soul. Peterson, in his translation of this in the message, puts it this way. Uh, Calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me 
and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? Another commentator who's writing on Matthew's Gospel and the occurrence of it there puts it this way. He says, each decision in life is making us into a certain kind of person. And the opportunity to relive life is not open to us. Life is lost or gained in the living. And Jesus calls us to discover life in following him. Another commentator makes another very helpful comment. It's Donald English in the Bible Speaks Today series in Mark 8. And he says, Mark's gospel is a succession of challenges to make up your mind. If you clutch your life wholly to yourself, protecting it against all others, asserting all your rights, needs and privileges, you lose it because it isn't life any longer. If, however, you acknowledge that life is not yours by right, that all is privileged and that it is to be lived in the love that the gospel reveals, self-giving love, then you begin to possess it wholly. Who are you? What does it mean to be human and just be yourself? Jesus says if you faff about trying to find yourself, you'll lose the very life you're searching for. Jesus says, follow me and I will lead you to life. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. You'll see the kingdom of God and a vision of what you were made for and can become. Jesus says, being yourself is simply death. Dying to self and following him is the beginning of life. I must confess, I've been thinking about this in the context of my own changes. In two weeks time, somebody says to me, who are you? I can't define who I am by a job. The answer is nothing. I can't define it in terms of the future, what I'm going to do, because I've no idea. I can give some kind of answer based on the past, but that sounds a bit sad. And to some it will probably sound a bit weird. But who are you? Who am I? If your career ended suddenly this week, who would you be? What would be left? If your health was taken suddenly this week, who would you be? What would be left? If your family was taken, who would you be? What would it mean to be yourself? Of what would your life consist? What would be the point? What would define you as a person? What would you have left? To be a life. I think if you want to get a healthy Christian perspective on what it means to be human and discover life, you need to bring together all four of these elements. You need to recognize what the Bible says about the way we were made as human beings, being made in the image of God, being made for relationship with God and for each other, and recognizing we've made a mess but can be made new in Christ. And honestly recognizing that the way we have been shaped as individuals has been hugely influenced by people, by circumstances, by events and by experiences. And yes, wonderfully, there are things that are unique to each of us as people, gifts, dispositions, abilities, personality. But the choices we make, and most importantly, the choice we make or don't make to follow Jesus is one of the most profound life-shaping choices any human being can make. 
Jesus shows us how to live as he goes to the cross. Jesus makes it possible to live as he is victorious over sin and death and can reconcile us to our Father in heaven. As I was thinking about this, I couldn't help thinking of a a song that um, came out many years ago, which was sort of connected with this in a kind of way. And um, I have it on vinyl. I don't actually have... uh, Well, I had to go and get it in CD so that you could hear it. I don't know whether you can hear it at the minute or not. It should be in there somewhere. Um, And it's the song that was um, written by Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's been through many experiences in his life. And one of them was in the Christians. And he wrote a whole album Wherever he may be in his yes, journey today, he certainly got to grips with the money. core issues of what it means to actually be a Christian. And this well, was the uh, first track of the Lord. It may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And the insight that's here is simply this, Maybe that serving yourself, just being yourself, is an expression of continued selfish rebellion. We're not that free. It's a myth. It's a lie. Just living for yourself leads to death. We're all serving someone. We're all following someone. Jesus' call is that it should be him. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve someone. in his uh, commentary on Matthew's Gospel where he's dealing with the same passage of Scripture and the same theme there. Uh, It's the series Matthew for Everyone. has this to say, which I think says it better than I could probably say it. He says, Jesus insists that God thinks differently from how we mortals think. God sees everything inside out. Or perhaps we should say God sees everything the right way around, whereas we see everything inside out. Once that is clear, the call goes out to follow Jesus. The call which rings down the centuries like a great bell in a distant church, calling us from wherever we're doing, whatever we're doing. Imagine the bell echoing through the streets of this town. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Imagine its sound resonating through shops and offices, through schoolrooms and hospital wards, through bustling shopping centres and lonely apartments. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Imagine people coming out of their doors to see where the noise is coming from, to listen to this great bell, and there walking ahead of them is Jesus, a compelling and mysterious figure. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. 
It remains true that to follow him we have to learn to think inside out. What the world counts as great is foolishness and what the world counts as folly is true wisdom. Cling on to your life and you'll lose it. Give everything you've got to following Jesus, including life itself, and you'll win it. In every generation, there are a few people who are prepared to take Jesus seriously at his word. What would it be like if you were one of them? You have only one life, however it has been shaped, whatever choices you have made. Don't lose it. Follow Jesus Christ. Let's just pray together. Father, whatever we turn to, whatever occupies us for the rest of this day, whatever we find ourselves doing tomorrow morning, whatever routine we lapse into, whatever change we face, whatever new challenge, May we hear the words of Jesus echoing down through the schoolroom, the shopping centre, the lonely apartment, wherever it may be. May we hear those words echo in our heads, follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And may we be given grace to think about that, to understand what it means to follow Jesus and to make a commitment and a choice to seek to do so for the rest of our lives. Lord, help those of us who have worshipped in this place for many years and been Christians for many years to hear this call in a fresh way this morning. Help those of us who have redefined ourselves, not so much as a Christian and a disciple of Jesus, to have to think again about who we are in this world. And what it means to follow him. And help those of us who maybe have never come to this point. For whom Jesus is an honourable but distant and remote figure. To hear this call. And to respond to it. Lord help us to find life. In all its fullness. In following Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.